This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 95. Whoa. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am your host, Brian D. Hood. I'm here with my amazing, bald, and beautiful, purple shirted, glassed, four eyed, stupid, big, dumb headed <laughs> co host, Chris, Christopher J. Graham. I feel like, Mr. Graham, I feel like I've gotten meaner and meaner over the like last 10 episodes on your intro, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dial that back. Well, we have to switch it up in some way. If meanness is the direction that it needs to go, then so be it. I know. I mean, sometimes you just need to let it out. You know, if you've had a rough day, you know, if you just got that one support email that you just want to like stab, stab your eyes out. You know, when you get those emails, you have to type up a really mean reply and then just never send it just so you can get out of your system. Yeah. Instead of doing that, I can just insult you in front of thousands of people. <laughs> you can. <laughs> make myself feel better. One of the funny things that I remember when we went to uh, Yosemite, Yosemite, there was a small child when we got lunch right before we were getting ready to do the Valley Walk. And mm-hmm. there was a small child who face planted right in front of us. And, <laughs> and I remember you began laughing really loud and mocking the child. And the mom looked up at you like, what? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah. He I will not pretend to be a grown adult at any point in my life. I will always find that funny and I will be unapologetically laughing oh, at any child's man. face that face plants into the snow. Just, just for the record, it was into the snow. No, no, it was on cement. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And they you started know, crying. Still I was like, okay. oh yeah, he didn't have kids yet. He'll, <laughs> That's true. He'll learn the ways soon enough. <laughs> you know what? If my kid face plants, I'm going to be laughing at him too. So it's okay in the world. Oh man, you have not experienced dad anxiety or as I like to call it, dad anxiety. I knew it, you were going to put those two words together, man. Well. You're such a dad with your dad jokes. That's what you do, man. Hey man, I tell my dad jokes and sometimes he laughs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the only dad joke well, I'll ever tell in this podcast. Ba- back which, to what by you, the way, is brought to you by LaCroix. <laughs> back to what you said a minute ago about you knew I was going to combine those two words because simplification is better. It's good. And that is the time. It's the worst segue we've ever had into a podcast episode ever. But it's a simple segue. No, it's not because now we have to explain how bad your segue was and then explain what we're going to actually talk about. Today's episode. <laughs> is all about simplification. The last few episodes in the series, we talked about ways to work on your business, not in your business, ways to work on your business in order to give you more time and to help make you more money. The third and probably final part of this series is ways to work on your business in order to simplify things. Because a lot of what we gave you these last couple episodes, you'll be working on those things and they can get out of hand really fast. They can get uber complicated. And I'm going to use a quote here. I'm going to steal from you, Chris. What gets fancy gets broken. We're going to talk about that today. But before we get into today's episode, let's talk about our two sponsors we have today, which are really just mine and Chris's companies. I forgot about that. Yeah. First sponsor for today is Chris's company, Bounce Butler. Chris? Yeah, Bounce Butler is like if you have too many basketballs and you're tired of cleaning them up, Bounce Butler will pick up your basketballs and put them away for you. (laughs) And if you have a lot of like files that you need to render, like export, like Bounce from Pro Tools, Logic, Cubase, whatever, 
he'll also do that. So check it out at bouncebutler.com. Early access is now. So apply if you would like early access to Bounce Butler. Yeah, worst pitch ever. There you go. That was the best <laughs> commercial we've never had. Again, Chris's thing is great. It actually will let you bounce down like every session that you select automatically. And if your DAW fails, it'll open it back up and try to bounce it again. That way you don't have to actually actively be at your computer when stuff is bouncing down. So you can go play basketball. You can go play basketball <laughs> and it'll go add it to a nice little folder for you, a Dropbox folder. It'll text you when you're done. Will it actually, can it text you the Dropbox link? That would be awesome. Can it do that, Chris? Well, that's funny you ask. It might do that someday, but we're trying to figure out how to do that in a way that doesn't create any security risks. I see what you're saying. Well, well, you know, when we build out the file pass bounce butler integration, maybe we can come up with something there. We'll figure it out then. Now that brings up our second sponsor for this episode. And that is my company with Mr. Trevor Hinesley, my co-founder. We have a company called file pass. I can't do the lame attempted pitch that Chris just did because I have a co-founder who would slay me if he heard <laughs> such a weak pitch. <laughs> file pass is essentially Dropbox or God forbid, Google drive on steroids. It's file sharing for recording studios. You create a project in FilePass, you add files to that project, you send the files to your client, and all of a sudden, instead of opening up a big, ugly black screen with a player in it, like Google Drive, or a slow, downgraded MP3 of your beautiful WAV file, like Dropbox, it'll load a quick, beautiful music player. It will stream the actual WAV file, no encoding done, and your clients can timestamp the revisions directly on the song, similar to SoundCloud. Furthermore, you can add a paywall to the file so that if your client owes you money, they cannot download the file until they pay you through FilePass. So if you want to request early access to that, we're wrapping that up. We're about to launch new pricing plans. Price is going to go up. Our podcast listeners can get in before we do that. So if you go to filepass.com, that will be available there and you can request early access. And if you get in early enough, it'll be before our price goes up. Yay. So let's get into today's topic, Chris, now that we're done pitching our audience on two very awesome tools, actually. I, even totally. if they weren't our own, I would still want to advertise these on the podcast. Well, both of those tools have the possibility of helping you simplify your business. That's true. That's a better segue than the half-assed attempt that you had earlier. What are you going to do? That was a simpler pitch, but yeah. So let me tell you guys a story about my life. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on, on the, the playgrounds playground, where he spent most, most of his most days. Of my days. Our sink is off. As you guys know, I'm a systems guy. I love systems and I love them because they let me focus on the two things that I love more than systems, making art and relationships. And for me, having good systems in my business has allowed me to focus on being much more customer focused and to focus on making more art. Um, let me see if I can work in the word focused several more times. Anyways, <laughs> systems are great, but as you begin to build out systems in your business or as you don't begin to build out systems in your business, it gets too complicated. A lot of the time that I spend working on my business, not for it, is simplifying my business so that it's as simple and as easy to work on and as dependable as possible. And Brian, like you mentioned before, when you're building out systems for your business, what gets fancy gets broken. That's not my quote. I stole it from somebody who stole it from somebody else. But it's so true. I think Abraham Lincoln first said that. I believe it was Abraham Lincoln. That's a joke. He gets attributed to everything and falsely. He didn't, he didn't say that. Get out of here, Abe. Hilarious. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was actually, I was going to make a funny joke there, but I was thinking I'd come up with the joke as I started saying it and nothing, <laughs> nothing happened. It's called a dead end joke. A dead end joke. Yeah. Oh, we're Anyways, not going to edit that out, Chris. That was a dad end joke. 
So, oh God, there no. we go. Get, All right, that's kind of funny. <laughs> All right, let's talk about why does stuff get overcomplicated? There's a big difference, real quick, between complicated because that can happen inevitably, but overcomplication is really what we're trying to avoid here. How can stuff get overcomplicated? Did you just say overcomplification? Yeah, I just made up a word. Don't worry about it. I love it. Okay, overcomplification <laughs> is. I really uh, want to know if I said that. I'll listen to the. You edit definitely later. did. I'm going to punch myself in saying overcomplication and the world will not know that I did that and you can't do anything about it. No, you should leave it in. Authenticity. I'm telling you, you did say it. I'm a mastering engineer. I got golden ears, baby. Authenticity. Authenticity. Anyways, back to the episode. Why does stuff get overcomplicated? So there's a couple of reasons here. One is that when you're trying to grow a business, you're always building. You're always making something that you can offer more services or more options or raise your prices, whatever it happens to be, you're always building or you're trying to up your quality. We can't escape this as audio engineers. We're constantly trying to find ways to up our game. That's why you're listening to this podcast. You're trying to up up your game. The other more insidious reason that businesses get overcomplicated is that people, myself especially, love to procrastinate doing important work by doing unimportant work. Before we get into that, I want to mention that overcomplification is not a word, as you might have guessed. <laughs> Oversimplification is a word. So I somehow mangle those two words. But back to this thing you're talking about using procrastination as a tool to keep making something more complicated. This goes back, we've talked about this multiple times on the podcast. Every time you use something to procrastinate, it's because of a fear that's a fear that's holding you back from releasing that thing. And I see this all the time when people build their websites, they refuse to release their websites. And I'm going to throw my wife under the bus a little bit here, but she built the website a while back. That's amazing. But due to fear, she just keeps tweaking it and won't actually release the website. And I see this all the time with my students too. They build websites out. They keep tweaking things. They keep trying to make it quote perfect, but then they just never release it. So I'm going to bring up another quote that's from the end of this episode that I'm just going to pull up right now, which is, from Facebook's marketing team, I think. Perfect is the enemy of done. And I think this goes perfectly here. When you're using procrastination in your life in order to avoid something, it's because you're trying to be perfect at something and you'll never actually get it done. There is no such thing as a perfect website. I'm sorry. And the core of it comes back to fear. Well, and this really hits home for, I think, us in the audio industry. Also, by the way, it's come to my attention. A lot of people listen to the show that don't record music in any way. Yeah, I got some Facebook message from someone who's like not even in the music industry or not Facebook. It was Instagram. I don't use Facebook. Her and her husband are into this or something. I think, I think she sent you a message too, Chris. She said she did. I think she did. I've been getting more and more messages from people that are saying like, wow, what you say applies to all businesses. Like, yep, that sort of business. <laughs> business. Maybe episode 100 will just announce that we're going to completely sell out and shift out of the audio podcast world into the general business world and then sell our souls to the man. Well, one of the last reasons that I make my businesses overcomplicated all the time is that at the end of the day, I want to be able to, like my elementary school teachers would say, pat myself on the back. I want to be able to be like, I did a good job today, pat, pat, pat. And often I'll invent ways, excuses to pat myself on the back, be like, I built this new system that I'm not going to use, <laughs> but I built it. Yay. Today was productive. And I think we do this all the time as audio engineers. We're constantly tweaking a mix when it's done. We're constantly doing extra stuff when we should have. Well, there's a quote in our industry that you never finish a mix. You give up on it. 
And that is super applicable for what we're talking about today. Yeah. So just to kind of touch on that, some personality types are really attracted to like physically checking something off a to-do list. And when it comes to just patting yourself on the back, you're building out systems, making things more complicated just to pat yourself on the back. That is the downfall of that type of personality. Not everyone's like this. I'm not like this, but I know people in my life that are like this that will do certain things just so they can check it off the list or just so they feel like they've been productive for that day. Those types of people really need to check themselves. (sighs) (laughs) I feel like you've got maybe 15 more of those jokes before I just quit this podcast. Oh, uh forever. You've got like 15 left. Okay. Okay. Um, again, the, the checking things off the list, just to f- pat yourself on the back. A lot of that goes back to the procrastination and the fear thing. A lot of that goes back to this core of, I'm going to keep doing these behind the scenes things in order to feel like I'm getting things done, AKA pat myself on the back. But what I'm really doing is procrastinating the inevitable, releasing my website or putting a new sales funnel up or putting new Facebook ads out or doing something like reaching out to clients or potential clients following up with leads, like all these things that I really need to do. I'm procrastinating the work that needs to be done in order to do work that makes me feel better and allows me to pat myself on the back. So these are all different things that can cause complication. There it is again. (laughs) Complication in your business. This is funny because I'm usually not the one that does this. You're the one that does this. Well, I love that you've added an F into that word. I don't know where the F can't, complification. I don't know where that came from, but I love it. But complicated. (laughs) It's complicated simplification, Chris. Just let it be. There we go. Well, one of the things I think about when we talk about this stuff is when I was in middle school, we all had, no, this is like fifth grade. One of the most popular things you could possibly own, there was this particular Adam Sandler comedy CD. And I think it was called, They're All Gonna Laugh at You. And there was this skit and... In the skit, I, like, I barely remember it because it was fifth grade, but the punchline was, they're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. And it was like Adam Sandler playing out this thing where his mom was warning him that everyone was going to laugh at him. And I think that that fear that they're all going to laugh at you, that, you know, we talked about this with imposter syndrome. I think that fear that people are going to laugh at you drives a lot of this like dumb work where you're only working to feel good about yourself and not taking any risk of putting something out in the real world where people might laugh at you. I love that term you just used, dumb work. That's like the perfect word to encapsulate this type of work where you're just patting yourself on the back, procrastination by doing work. If you are the one that struggles with this, we're not going to go into depth with this right now, but episode 72, Chris does a nice little uh, shorter episode while I was on my honeymoon called How to Make Imposter Syndrome Your Friend. Again, that's episode 72. Released back in March 26th. It was towards the end of my honeymoon, actually. I was really afraid when we put that out that uh, they were all going to laugh at me. You kind of did, because that was your first episode to do solo. You've never done one. But that was the only solo episode we've ever had on this podcast, actually. This is true. I would like to do more stuff like nope. that occasionally. Nope, I'm never leaving this country again. Good. Thank God. That means I don't have to mix anything. <laughs> we're going to like Southeast Asia, Vietnam, Bali for like a month sometime early next year. So maybe you'll have your chance. Can you bring me back some noodles? No. <laughs> Freaking one of my favorite things on earth, pad thai. Which is like the widest thing you could like from Southeast Asia. <laughs> well, but my favorite pad thai is made by a Thai lady. Her name is Farm and she lives down the street from me and she's fabulous. But the thing is she makes it because the same reason Indian people make. No, no, no. What she makes is very different. Very, very different. What is the thing that Indian people make that's actually British? Curry. Chicken tiki masala. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's British. That's not even Indian. So, but an Indian person will make it for you, Chris. Interesting. 
Fun fact that you guys might not know in our audience, my wife, Allison, who is lovely, beautiful, fantastic, born in India. I didn't know that. Her parents were in charge of the dormitories at a school in the foothills of the Himalayas, and uh, she was born in a dentist office in India. Crazy. Does she have dual citizenship or no? Not yet. We've been exploring that, and that would be pretty dope to have two passports. So at some point, we probably will get on that, but... We haven't done like the international travel thing with three kids quite yet. I'm sure we will someday. Oh yeah, you're getting there though. Your your youngest is getting to the age where she can travel internationally. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to ways you can work on your business to simplify things. Chris, first things first. <laughs> Context switching. This isn't really something you can do right now, but this is something you can stop doing <laughs> in order to simplify your business. Context switching, for those of you who don't know, it's when you are constantly changing between things that are completely different contexts. An example might be you're working on your website and then every five minutes you're going back and you're adjusting something in a mix. That is two completely different parts of your brain, completely different contexts. And every time you switch between two completely different things like that, you are losing a massive amount of momentum and productivity. And it's adding a lot of complications. Complication. <laughs> That's just a word now. That's a word we're using from now on. You're adding complica- complica- complications. Complication. I'm uh, trying to overcomplicate the word. It's not even that many syllables. I You're overcomplicating things. Well, one of the things, you know, we talk about this task switching or context switching thing. This is something that neuroscientists have looked into. This isn't just like our opinion. This is science, baby. And the idea here is that when you get in a flow state, and then you try to switch to a completely different flow state, that neither flow state benefits from that. And one of the most important things, one of the reasons that you build systems, one of the reasons that you simplify is you want to maximize flow state. We are creatives, we are artists, and we're trying to get into flow state where we do our best creative work. And the way to do that is to get into flow state and not to leave. So let me actually explain for those who don't know, he's, he's talking about something called flow state. Just to explain that, I'll give you a quick story. When I first ordered all my gear for my studio, I was living in my parents' basement. I had a bunch of boxes come in and then I spent like literally 40 hours straight, uninterrupted, except for like pee breaks and like food and water, uninterrupted 40 hours straight, setting up stuff, like learning how Pro Tools worked, installing things. Like I was in what you would call a flow state. This is a state where time absolutely flies. You have no sense of what time it is. You sometimes forget to eat. And like, that is a fantastic place to be. I then slept for 12 hours, was up for 40 more hours straight, slept for 12 hours, up for 40 more hours straight working in the studio. I've never achieved a flow state like that. I probably never will again, but that is like an extreme example of flow state is when you just get so into your work that you lose all sense of time. And when you do context switching, it is really hard to get into any sort of flow state. If you try to multitask, That is one of the worst things you can do for your productivity. There's no such thing as a good multitasker. That is an oxymoron. People get better at being inefficient. (laughs) They're less (laughs) shitty, I guess you'd say, but no one is a good multitasker. The best way we can all work is to focus at one thing at a time and to give it ample time for that one thing and not switch between contexts. As I'm thinking about like younger me, more dumber (laughs) me, I would get so antsy about like, am I really, am I really an engineer? Am I really this person? Am I one of them? And imposter syndrome would kick in and imposter syndrome would drive me to hop around from task to task to get as many pats on the back as I possibly could to just be like, I'm doing a good job. See, Oh, I just did something else. Oh, I did some more stuff. 
And it was imposter syndrome that drove me to be really distracted and to multitask like that. It wasn't this idea of like, I think this is the best way to do it. It was, I think this is the best way to feel good about myself. Yeah. And so as we're talking through the rest of these things we're going to talk about in this episode, keep this context switching thing in the back of your mind that if nothing else, if you just take that to heart and stop switching from task to task to task all day, it's going to be much, much easier for you to simplify your business. So let's move into something we talked about in past episodes, but software. We talked about this, I want to say two episodes ago, but simplifying your software for some reason, we just like to overcomplicate things. <laughs> and let's just talk about, first of all, plugins. We talked about this on the past episode. What are some ways we can simplify our plugins? And honestly, better yet, why should we simplify our plugins? Well, this is a controversial topic in audio. And it's controversial because people don't want to admit that there's even a chance that it might be a good idea to simplify your plugins because to do that would be to admit that they had spent a lot of money needlessly on plugins. We can use the same for gear too. So this is interchangeable with hardware and software here. We could, however, you can sell gear. Ooh, true. And plugins are particularly tricky because if you decide like, oh, I don't want to use that. I'm not going to use this plugin anymore. Or, oh, I'm, I'm going to limit myself to just Waves plugins. Or I'm going to limit myself to just Slate or whatever it happens to be. As soon as you do that, the investment that you made in the plugins that you have decided to not use has now disappeared. Because for the most part, you're going to have a pretty hard time selling it to somebody else. And the big issue there that psychologists talk about is sunk cost. Sunk cost is this idea of that you spent time or you spent money on something and it didn't work out. And what most people will keep doing is they'll keep on trying to redeem the thing that they lost or the time that they lost to justify it so that they don't have to do this mental accounting trick, which is to admit that they lost, to admit that something didn't work out great. And I think the better move there is to think about what your life would look like if you were more simple and with the way that you do plugins and didn't own plugins from 18 different companies. A couple things would happen. One, if you needed to reinstall all your plugins, it wouldn't take you all day. <laughs> That's so true. Like my laptop hard drive just died. And so whether I get a new laptop or I replace that broken hard drive, either way, I'm going to have to reinstall pretty much everything. So... <laughs> there's a lot of software I have to reinstall. So if I were to be using, let's just say all UAD or all Slate, everything bundle, it would be a lot simpler for me to get back up and running in this circumstance. But alas, I have not really, I don't use a lot of plugins to be honest, but I haven't simplified as much as I could. Well, and I would say this, mixing, so I'm going to get some gear slot alerts here, but mixing with NS10s, it's a skill. You learn how to mix with NS10s. Mixing with, say, Genelex, also a skill. Mixing with headphones is a skill. Mixing with Beats by Dre, that is a skill. Mixing with Beats by Dre is a miracle. You are a <laughs> very talented audio engineer if you can do that. And so the thing that you got to keep in mind here is that mixing with stock plugins is also a skill. There are plenty of people who have made records with less than what you currently own that are still like hit records. And just to clarify, we're not advocating that you throw away all your plugins and only use stock plugins. That's absurd. But what we are saying is that there are some great companies out there that have everything you need in a one size fits all package or whatever that allows you to simplify things in a way that 30 different plugin companies will not allow you to do. Because here's the deal is when you have too many options, that creates indecisiveness, which creates complicated. Comp 
complication, which creates <laughs> all sorts of headaches. And not even talking about whenever you go back to open an old session up for a plugin that you deleted or that no longer is supported or whatever, the earlier you can simplify your plugins, the better off you're going to be long-term because now if you do this for the next six years, if you have to open up a session that you did this week, you'll have all the same plugins. You haven't like expanded exponentially your plugin collection, which causes all sorts of headaches in the past. So the more complicated you get with your plugins specifically or any other software, the more difficult you're making your life in the long run. Well, and let me share with you a story. It's actually a story I've heard again and again and again as I've been doing business coaching on the side, which has been a blast. A lot of the guys I've been working with are high volume mix engineers. These are guys who mix lots and lots of songs. And when they started out, they bought lots and lots of plugins to get more and more options and be able to deliver different types of mixes. And they didn't notice it, but as their business began to slowly grow, it became very important for them to start looking at having an assistant to prep mixes for them. It gets problematic when you've built an entire mixing system around 17 different companies because all of a sudden, for you to hire an assistant means you need someone, ideally, with all the same plugins that you own. That really lowers the amount of people that you could potentially hire. I know when I was hiring my mix assistant, it was difficult <laughs> to find someone that had the plugins that I had. And there was actually some that he had to purchase that I paid for just because I wanted him to have them so he could do my mix prep. Yeah. And that's how my business works. I have two identical bundles of everything that I own with the exception of UAD stuff. It's something worth thinking about that if you continue to grow, you're going to eventually need help. And when you need help, you either need to buy all the plugins that you already have for someone else to use to prep your work, whether that's mixing, mastering, whatever. Which can get to the tens of thousands of dollars depending on your software slut collection. Exactly. Also, what gets tricky is if you don't want to do that, then they have to be local. They have to come into your studio and help you do prep work. If, on the other hand, you have developed the skill to be just as good as you would be with a smaller selection of plugins, the number of people that you can get to be your assistant dramatically increases. So this simplification thing, I love what you said, Brian, about it gives you less decisions to make. So if you're in a position where you can move a little quicker because you're not overwhelmed with like, oh gosh, which one of the 75 compressor plugins I have should I use on this song? Like that gets intense and you can get paralyzed by having all those options. Or you can just keep using the same one and you've wasted money on like 30 other plugins you never use, in which case it's hard to get rid of because like you said, it's really hard to sell plugins. I haven't seen really anyone do that. I know you can technically, but it's a nightmare for everyone involved. So that's just something to keep in mind. If you're brand new Keep this lesson at heart as you're growing your business because the more successful you are, the more tempted you're going to be to spend your money on more gear and more plugins. Those of you who are already successful, though, this is more difficult for you because now you have to pare down and simplify things. And that takes a lot of discipline to do. So let's move on to the second part here. And this will be a lot shorter, but simplifying your DAWs. This is something I haven't really seen many people do, but Chris has. I've heard of this, but this is crazy to me is using multiple DAWs for different scenarios. Chris, can you talk about this for a second? Just just for the like the three people out there that are doing this, so we'll stop. <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to be for all of you guys. I think many of you will be surprised to hear this. But as a mastering engineer, I get to work with a whole lot of different types of artists and types of engineers. And I've a number of times encountered people that are like, yeah, you know, I make beats in FL Studio, and then I record vocals in Logic over those beats after importing stems, and then I mix everything in Pro Tools. Don't do that. Just don't do that. 
You can make the argument that one DAW is better than the other for editing versus mixing versus mastering versus tracking or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's a context switching conversation. Every single time you switch DAWs, you have a lot of opportunity loss between transferring things between sessions and making them compatible and setting them up and making sure they look right. Like this shouldn't be a surprise to most of you, but if you are the type of person where you're using multiple DAWs, that is way more complicated than it needs to be. Simplify, simplify, simplify. Yeah. It's at least complicated now until Bounce Butler helps you with your stem imports. Coming soon to a Bounce Butler near you. Ooh, is that a new feature we need to know about? Uh, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Mm. So let's talk about hardware now. Simplifying your hardware. Here on the podcast, we have something called a gear slut alert. That is this sound. Anytime someone mentions a specific piece of gear, we don't allow gear talk on the podcast or we don't like to have it on the podcast because at the end of the day, we don't think gear is going to make or break your studio. We think you are, you, your individual self, your skills, your relationships, your ability to get shit done. Hardware does not come into the picture when it comes to running a successful business. It is a part if you choose it for it to be, but I don't think it's a necessary part, especially nowadays. So to me, the easiest way to simplify all your hardware is to sell as much of it as possible or to just not acquire it in the first place. But Chris, you wanted to add this and so I will. And it's worth talking about for those people that have a complicated selection of gear, too much gear. Let's talk about the first thing on this hardware list, Chris. Simplifying your mic locker. Well, your mic locker, we're not going to call out any particular mics that we think are great because that's not what this podcast is about. But there is a dream brewing out there, and it is the dream of owning one mic that can do the job of many mics. I own many SM57s. and (laughs) (laughs) That's true. The SM57 can do anything. Gear slot alert. That's like the least slutty piece of gear, though, let's be honest. It is. And you can use it as a hammer. Like, you could do anything (laughs) with that. As a drummer, I have hit many SM57s as hard as possible with thick-ass drumsticks, and I've never broken one. So it's a testament to the durability. Brian, can we go camping someday and use SM57s as the stakes to hold our tent into the ground? And then record a record with it. It would. All right, let's let's move on. Let's talk about you simplifying your mic locker. Let's go. (laughs) So there's this idea. There's a couple companies selling modeling mics. That's an interesting idea. I don't know if it's viable yet. I don't know that it would work for everyone. But this idea of having one type of mic in your studio and being able to emulate lots of other kinds of mics is really interesting from a systems perspective because it lets you minimize what you have and it's a heck of a lot cheaper than buying a bunch of vintage mics i'm interested in that i'm not going to say it's a great idea just yet yeah we talked about this when we when we came back from winter nam last this year earlier this year and we saw a couple companies doing the mic emulation thing love the idea don't know if the technology is there yet but as far as it replacing entire mic locker one day it will be able to do that absolutely and that will be a glorious day and then you can sell all your mics which brings up another interesting point that's a little bit off topic here if that day does come or has come and one microphone can rule them all, if you've invested in super expensive mics, the value of those mics is likely going to go down. And that's terrifying. And I'm wondering, I know the Kemper profiler has not really reached mass adoption yet. I'm sure it has put some sort of dent in the guitar amp resale market simply because like, I have all my amps profiled on my Kemper profiler. Crap. We didn't even put Kemper in our outline. That's a perfect example of this amp emulation. Yeah, that's true. Like that simplifies my hardware. I don't ever use my hardware anymore. I need to sell it to be honest with you. But I guess one day if I get another cab or if we just need a different type tone that I just can't quite capture, maybe I'll need to use it again. But I haven't, <laughs> I haven't turned my amps on in like 
probably a year, year and a half. All that to say, you better believe that when a plugin version of that comes out, whoever makes it, it's going to, I think, wreck the amp market. I think that happened last week to some degree with that whole neural DSP thing that just came out with Nolly. Impressed. But we're not going to get into that right now because that's a different conversation. But I just want to say that's going to wreck the amp market. And I can guarantee you when you can emulate any mic with no audible difference, it's going to do the same for your mic. So I would try to get out. Before. So you would say there's a mic bubble and an amp bubble. I mean, I don't know if it's a bubble because there was no like massive increase like you would see with Bitcoin or with the stock or something. I disagree with vintage amps. Praise Jesus. I have a 1966 Fender Princeton Reverb gear slot alert. Yeah, that's the biggest gear slot alert possible. Right? It's one of the finest amps that's ever been made. And when I got it, it was not worth that much. Now it's worth a fortune and it probably won't be worth a fortune in 10 years. I'm not going to speculate because I don't know about classic stuff where there's a limited quantity and, you know, there's a story behind it, that kind of stuff. It's like priceless art. But I think when it comes to like mass produced stuff, there's going to be a massive downturn in resale prices whenever emulation is in full effect. So again, just simplify things. That's what we're trying to say here. We're not trying to give you business advice, whether you should sell something now to get a better price than you will in 10 years. Like that's, we're getting in speculation land. That's, I'm not trying to get into that. The whole point is if you are able to simplify your gear, at the end of the day, that's going to help your business run more smoothly. It's going to help your sessions run more smoothly. It's going to help your brain unclutter. It's going to give you more clarity. It's going to give you less context switching. And again, simplify, simplify, simplify. So let's move on to the next point here, Chris. Well, I'm a little bit anal retentive. Um, I'm, that's disgusting. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds dirty. <laughs> I'm kind of weird. Like I'm not the cleanest guy in the world. I'm comfortable with mess. But in certain contexts in my life, I am really specific about organization. I think for a lot of people in recording studio world, I'd say there's like two types of recording engineers. There's those who are meticulously organized and those who are meticulously messy. Yeah, if you're meticulously organized, this is not your section of the podcast. No, it's not. But if your studio is a wreck, if it's super messy and it's like a rat's nest of cables and the whole nine yards, I would guess that you are probably losing efficiency based on the craziness of your studio environment. And I would say that you probably are losing customers who walk in and are like, I don't want to be in this world. And so I think getting a label maker, coming up with some systems, coming up with some really easy rules so that your studio stays organized and that when you're done with something, you know, whether that's a patch cable or microphone or whatever, that it goes back in the same spot every time and that there's a label of where it goes so that you're never like, where's this go again? It should go back in the same spot and there should be a label. If this goes back to that book we've recommended probably a million times, The E-Myth Revisited, written by Michael Gerber, that book will make you think through your studio in a way that you probably haven't thought about before. And it comes down to really creating systems, repeatable checklists. So if you think about like when you're done with a session, you should have a list of next steps every single time that you follow. It could be that you're going to put your cables back in this place. You're going to do this with the drums. You're going to do this with your guitars. You're going to do this with all of your session files. You're going to relabel things. You're going to change the colors and things. You're going to disable plugins and save a different version of in your DAW of that session. You're going to delete hidden files. You're going to do all this stuff to get your sessions ready for archiving. And this all comes down to part of organizing your studio. And I think if you are that type of person that does this naturally, you probably have a clean studio. But if you're not this type of person, it's not just a clean studio. It's a well set up and well organized studio. So there's a difference between just having an unorganized studio that's clean. That's kind of how most studios tend to be. It's another thing to have a clean studio that is also well organized. These are 
two different things. I think one is better for productivity. One is good for the customers, but you need both really at the end of the day to simplify your studio. Well, and I think a good example of that is you don't see a lot of professional musicians whose pedal boards or drum arrangement, like musicians are meticulous about their systems on stage. They know that at a moment's notice, they might need to reach for and grab an effect or a new drumstick or whatever. Your studio should be the same. Yeah, like with my drum set back in the day, you would have the specific angles the tom needed to be angled at, the specific point in which the snare needed to be in height and angle. The cymbals had to be angled down a specific amount. The china cymbal had to be raised up to the right amount. Like anything that was slightly off would throw off my muscle memory. And it's the same for you. You have muscle memory with every single piece of gear in your studio, every single cable in your studio. And if you don't, you've missed out on a large productivity boost that you could have. So think through it in the terms of muscle memory. You don't need to think about where your cables are. You don't need to think about where that adapter is. You just need to think that you need one and your body exactly knows where to go immediately without thinking about it. It's like Pro Tools shortcuts or any DAW shortcuts. Oh, I love that. I don't think about what I'm doing. I just think about what I need to do and my body does it. So when I need to do something in Pro Tools, I'm not thinking what keys I'm pressing. I just do it. And it's the same with your studio. Organize your studio to the point where you don't think about anything. You just think about what you need to do and your body tells you what to do from that point on. Yeah. And I think a lot of musicians are attracted to that when they walk into a studio where they open up the mic locker and there's like labels on the shelves of like what mics go where. And also there's price tags on there because you're selling all of your mics. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think most people walk into a business like that and say, wow, I know they're going to do a good job because they clearly have systems so that they can have repeatable performances. So moving on from that, I'm a big fan of label makers. Just get a label maker and start the easiest way to create these types of systems is to just print off labels and just start sticking them places and feel if that's where that piece of gear should go or, or where that, you know, whatever. So yeah, get a label maker. <laughs> Good advice. And you've mentioned that before, but it takes some trial and error, to be honest. And if you look at, like, if you watch the movie, The Founder, where it's the story of like McDonald's beginnings, they really have to work through several different ways that all of the grills and the fry hopper and like all the different aspects of a restaurant are set up. They like drew it on the concrete in chalk so that they could run through the process of how things flow together. And they messed up. They had to keep trying different things because people would run into each other here and this wasn't a good flow. And then you had to move too far across the restaurant to put this thing there. And when they finally got the flow that they made sense to them, that's when they settled on like building out a location Hell that. So just think through it like that. It's really like it's there's so much in common with systems in a restaurant or another business. Totally. So Brian mentioned the movie The Founder. Highly recommended. I'm not a fan of McDonald's. I don't eat at McDonald's. I'm like a hippie. But the story of how McDonald's was founded is incredible. And you talk about simplification. Do you know how many items were on the McDonald's menu when it was founded? Four. Five. Five. Nice. Five items. Hamburger, French fries, Coke, milkshake. And I think orange drink, that was it. <laughs> and they were so simple. They had niched down so much of like, oh, we do this hamburger and fries and it's really, really fast. They've got thousands of items on their menu now. Well, anyways, let's move on and not talk about McDonald's anymore. All right. So let's talk about ways to simplify your own day-to-day -day workflow. We've talked about a little bit of this throughout this episode, uh, but there are ways that you can simplify your own day-to-day -day workflow in order to become more efficient and also to have happier clients. And also honestly, to make yourself happier. I've talked about in the past how limitations can increase your happiness. I still believe that. I still think self-imposed limitations can lead to increased happiness because you are making do with what you have instead of constantly trying to get the bigger and better thing. 
again, that's kind of beyond the scope of this episode, but let's talk through this. Ways to improve your day-to-day workflow. Let's start just quickly like recording studios. If you track and edit and record bands in the studio. So I'm not an expert on this. I'm not a tracking engineer. I used to be, so I can talk on this a little bit too. Yeah. There is something to be said for guys who mix with effects to tape. Guys that have compression, guys that are using like colorful preamps and EQ, and they're making a commitment while tracking to what's going to make it to tape. I think for most of the time, at least from my experience when I was a tracking engineer a long, long time ago, there was a fear that, well, what if I'm, I need options in the future? And that fear was what drove me to not make commitments in the first place when I was recording a band. And the direction I have gone on that is that philosophically, I think it's much better to make commitments and try to get magic to happen so that when you listen back to the rough mix, that there's critical mass. There's critical mass that's like, okay, yeah, I feel what the final product of this is going to look like. And I think the fear of not using those effects to tape is just rooted in wanting to have unlimited options in the future, which is really paralyzing. Yeah. And again, this goes back to the process by analysis kind of thing where when you have too many options, you essentially have no options because you don't know where to start. And some people work one extreme, which is they commit on the way, like they record to tape, they record, the term is record to tape, but none of us really record to tape anymore with a few exceptions. What it means is you're processing the audio on the way into the DAW and there's no going back at that point. You have committed. And there is an art to this. I wouldn't say every beginner needs to do this, but I will say that it simplifies things drastically if you can get to the point where you are doing this. So there's not really much more to add to this, but this is a great way to simplify your workflow. The caveat though is if your clients aren't happy with it, what can you do about it? So that was always my fear when I was recording is I was the kind of guy that didn't record to tape. I was the guy who wanted those millions of millions of options. That was just my personality type is I just wanted the options. When you commit to tape, there's something liberating about that. There's something liberating about burning the ships. There's yeah, a story. Yeah, I love that story. Yeah, there's a story about, I'm going to totally mess it up because this is off the top of my head, but there's a story about, it's actually a terrible story. These were evil, evil people who came to, God, I hate to use this story. But you know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, okay. uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make up a story that's a lot less terrible and evil. Okay. Uh, there were some um, fairy tale characters who took a boat across Candy Cane Ocean this travel. is dumb. I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell the real story. Yeah, tell All right, the real so story. <laughs> there were some conquistadors back in the day and they came over from the old world to the new world and they wanted to be sure that their team, that their soldiers were fully committed. And to do that, they landed all the soldiers on the beach and then they burned the ships. And it was this idea of like, this is happening. We're doing this and it's our only option. Just to note, Apparently, at least the story goes, they were outnumbered like by a large margin. So their chances of winning this battle were not good or winning this war or whatever they're doing was not very high. So the commander burned all of the ships so that they knew they had no exit strategy so that they were literally fighting for their lives. And long story short, according to legend, whoever's story this is, they ended up winning because they burned the ships. And so people like to use the story in a lot of different contexts that if you give yourself a backup plan, you're doing yourself a disservice that if you have to fight for your life, essentially, where you are burning the ships, you are going to force yourself to make better decisions and not give up halfway through just because things get hard. This is a great story that applies to a million different areas, but in the context of committing to tape, it's good to burn the ship sometimes. Yeah. It's unfortunate in that it was, I think, like attempted genocide or something ridiculous. I'm sure it was because we were all evil back in the day. So moving on from recording to mixing, 
this is probably a little more, I think more of our audience does mixing than recording these days, but mixing, simplifying mixing. We talked about templates, Chris. Do we want to mention anything else about templates? That was one of our things we talked about working on your business. Use them. All right, moving on. Oh, actually, you know what? No, no, no. Let me talk about this for a second. Please. People can overcomplicate this all the time. I talked about how I have about three, maybe four different templates for different genres that I work on. The way you can overcomplicate this is if you try to create templates for every conceivable potential type of music you would ever work on, like 30, 40, 50 different templates. And I've come across people that do this. What, what happens is you just end up wasting time creating these like fictional templates that you'll never use on sessions that you'll never get. And again, that's a it goes back to a form of procrastination by fear. Just create templates that you are guaranteed you're going to use. And if you get three or four artists that are the same genre that you haven't worked with before, save your most recent one as a template and move on. Don't try to create potential templates for potential clients that you haven't gotten before. That's all I have to say on that. But yeah, don't overcomplicate the template thing. Ooh, those are wise words. I love that. Don't overcomplicate that. And again, this is one of these things where you can like, pretend to work on your business instead of for your business. And that's a bad thing. Let's move on to our next thing in mixing. And let's talk about Parkinson's law. Chris, can you talk about that? Um, One of the things that I find that impacts me a lot. So this is kind of mixing and mastering here is when I was young, I would start working on a song and the song would begin to sound better and better and better. And then I would get tired and then the song would begin to sound worse and worse and I would get dumber and dumber and dumber and worse and worse. And by the time I was done, the song was worse than before I had begun. Parkinson's law is this idea that however much time you have to complete a task is as much time as it's going to take you. And I think for most people, their fear that they're all going to laugh at you drives them to continue to beat a dead horse once that mix or that master is done. It is the single biggest mistake that I see people make. I love what you just said there. And this goes for so many different things. So I don't want this to be lost in the, just this mixing conversation. Here's what happens inevitably. And this happens to me all the time is I will start working on my business in something. It'll be like 1 PM, which is kind of a downtime for me. And I'll start working on something and then it'll be 2 PM, 3 PM, 4 PM. I'm getting more and more complicated. I'm adding more and more things to this system or to this, whatever I'm working on this checklist, or if I'm building out, like I'm writing a blog article or I'm setting up Facebook ads, literally insert any part of working on your business in this conversation. But I start at 1 PM. It keeps getting more and more complicated. And I start making errors and messing things up because I'm getting more and more exhausted mentally. And this is an inevitable part of overcomplicating things because we start building and building and building and building and building onto something. And this goes in the mixing conversation as well, because you keep tweaking and tweaking and tweaking this mix, adding all these different plugins. And by the time you're the most mentally exhausted, you've A, ruined the mix, but B, your DAW starts acting weird and crashing. <laughs> and you've hit this point where one of the plugins you added at some point is absolutely wrecking your DAW, especially if you're in Pro Tools, because this is inevitably going to happen to you. You have a really heavy CPU hogged session that you've put too many plugins in. One of them is buggy. You haven't updated it or something. Who knows? And it's crashing Pro Tools. Well, now you've spent the last four hours adding new things. You don't know what it is that's causing the crash. And you're too brain dead to solve the problem. And now you just give up. This is a really bad place to be. Yeah. And one of the things you got to keep in mind here, I'm going to get really nerdy here for just a minute. When you've got a problem and there's one variable, one thing that could change in that problem, there's only one possible solution, right? You know, either this thing works or it doesn't. When you add a second variable into that equation, 
Now there's a little more than two possible scenarios. It could be variable one is broken. It could be variable two is broken. It could be that variable one and variable two are broken. When you start to add more complexity, the potential things that are causing bugs, and I'm telling you guys this because I inadvertently have become a software developer with this whole bounce butler thing. When you begin to make code more complicated, it's the same as a mix, the potential number of things that are broken exponentially increases as you add more things to it. And back to this kind of saying that we had at the beginning of the podcast, what gets fancy gets broken. So yeah, definitely something to think about. Yeah, I had a friend of mine, we used to trade mixes with each other. We would just like send full mixes to each other so we could look inside of each other's sessions. And I'll never forget, I used to like, I feel like everyone makes this mistake. You start adding like 30 different plugins to like your drum chain and like doing all these (laughs) stupid things because it just makes you feel like you're actually changing the sound of something. And my friend just had way better mixes than me at the time. And I opened up a session and he had like two plugins on every track. And I'll never forget. I was just like, how the hell does this sound so good and is yet so simple? And ever since then, I have vastly simplified my plugin chains on every single track. And it has made mixing so much easier. But let's move on to mastering now because this is your expertise, Chris. Let's talk about ways you can simplify your mastering. I'll be pretty quick on mastering. So this is just me, and I'm less confident talking about the thing I have the most experience in. But for me, there are a couple things that I don't do when I'm mastering. I don't master from stems. I master from a stereo file all the time. Even if people ask for that? If they do, what I do is I send them to my head mix engineer, and I say, he's going to mix your stems, and then you're going to approve the mix, and we'll do revisions if necessary. And once we have a final mix, then I'll master that. When you get into stem mastering, oh my gosh, that feels like a way to fleece a customer because it can just go on and on and on and on and on. And especially if you're charging for revisions, it can get crazy. One of the other things that I think might be kind of shocking is I don't do MS processing in mastering. MS is like you can adjust the sides of the mix differently than the center. I despise MS processing. Yeah, also known as mid-side not a fan of mid-side. To me, it overcomplicates things when it's just like, dude, it's like everyone's got recall. Everyone's mixing in the box. Just call the mix engineer and be like, hey, could you turn the vocal up one dB? And it sounds way better when you use the phone instead of a mid-side processor. I kind of like that. I'm going to use that phrase from now on. I prefer to use the phone rather than yeah, a mid-side. That's actually, <laughs> that's the best piece of gear for your mastering studio. It's true. Anything else with mastering you want to touch on before we move on? You know, I would say that third piece here. I feel like this goes to that saying, but I know that it doesn't. I know there are mastering engineers who disagree with me on this. I am very reluctant to use more than a dB or two of gain reduction on any process I'm doing. Same goes with EQ. I'm very reluctant to push more than a dB or two of EQ in any direction, which isn't to say I don't sometimes do that, but I think generally just, again, the phone is more powerful. If you think that a mix needs two dB of high end, you got to ask yourself why it was mixed without that 2 dB of high end in the first place and what they're going to do when they listen to it. Are they going to approve your master? I doubt it. They're not going, oh my gosh, why didn't I think to add 2 dB of high end? I don't think that most people are like that. So I think from a simplicity standpoint is doing your best to honor the mix engineer, to honor the choices that they've made and to try and just bring out nuance rather than trying to come in and save the day. That's my personal philosophy. I know there are a lot of mastering engineers out there who like their specialty is making it pump. That's not what I do. So yeah, I think that's one of the ways that I approach trying to simplify mastering of not trying to create 
all these extra tasks that the mastering engineer does that are much better done by the mix engineer. All right, let's move on to simplifying your marketing. This is something we talk about constantly on the podcast. We are a business podcast for recording studios. And so if you went back and tried to implement all the advice that we've ever given on marketing, you're in dire need of simplification. (laughs) (laughs) It's very true. There's a lot out there. There's a lot of information. I know we're pretty late in this podcast, but you know what? The last episode was long as shit. So let's just make the same thing here. Let's talk about simplifying your marketing. And I'm going to start with paid advertising with the understanding that most of our audience doesn't do this. Most of our audience is interested in this, but is scared of it. And so I'm going to just breeze through this because this is not relevant to most people. I just want to say with paid advertising, I see a lot of people doing what we just talked about with mixes where you overcomplicate just Facebook ads, for example. They'll have... 10 different campaigns going with 10 different ad sets in each campaign and a bunch of different dollar a day ads going just to try to tweak or hack the Facebook system. If you will just simplify your Facebook ads to do exactly what Facebook wants you to do, you will have much better results. It'll be much easier to manage and you'll waste a lot less money. So if you are going to run Facebook ads, you only need one to two campaigns, one to two, maybe three ad sets in each of those campaigns. And then you need really at the end of the day, after you've tested a bunch of different ads, you only need one to two ads running in each of those campaigns. If you can do that, you're going to have a much easier time with successful Facebook advertising with Google. I don't know enough about that. It's the same. It's exactly the same. It's the same. Okay. So don't get overcomplicated. Don't try to get fancy because at the end of the day, you're just going to be working against Facebook instead of with Facebook. And if you work against Facebook, you are going to lose. Well, and here's the catch with that. When you're doing paid advertising and you get fancy, If it gets broken, broken doesn't mean it doesn't run. Broken means you keep getting billed for stuff, for ads that you shouldn't have run in the first place. Broken is extremely expensive when it comes to paid advertising. Trust me, I know. I've lived through that life. And so, yeah, you want to keep it simple. And one of the big things, we haven't really addressed this, but when you keep it simple, your IQ goes up. When you complicate, you lose IQ points. You get stupider. Is that even a word? Stupider? Is that a word? Stupider. It is now. You get stupid. It's my best Dave Ramsey impersonation right there. (laughs) Impressionation. (laughs) And so anyways, yeah, you want to keep it real simple on the paid advertising front. And you want to do that first and foremost by setting a budget. All right, let's move on to the next topic, which is what we talked about last week on the episode 94. We had a lot of emphasis on marketing funnels, your studio's funnels. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to episode 94 which is part two in this series. Again, I'm just going to touch on this for a second, but this is very important. It's really easy to overcomplicate things when it comes to modifying or changing or adding steps in your funnel. It's good to have one. If you have the funnel mindset from top, middle, and bottom of your funnel in your studio, you're going to have a lot easier time just overall in your marketing approach. But when you start adding all sorts of crazy steps and splits and all sorts of things, like for example, I've seen people that do this. You land on somebody's website, And they have a different website, depending on if you came there for mixing or mastering. So if you, it's like, click here to enter for mastering, click here to enter for mixing. And so they built in a completely different website out with completely different quote forms. And while this may work for him, I don't know. This is way too complicated for a simple recording studio. All you need to do is have a check mark on your quote form if you want mixing or another check mark if you want mastering or check both if you need both. You don't need to overcomplicate this. So when it comes to like building out these things, especially what we talked about in the last episode, it is so easy to get carried away. Just simplify, simplify, simplify. 
what is the minimum viable amount of work I need to do to get these things into place. And from there, go work on other more important things in your business. You just said something really interesting. You said minimum viable. And one of the things that reminds me of is this phrase, minimum effective dose. Oh yeah. I hear Tim Ferriss talk about that all the time. Yeah. Oh, he loves that. And it's a fascinating topic. Minimum effective dose is a term that is used in medicine. When you're prescribing someone a medication, you want to prescribe the minimum effective dose because anything beyond that dose will actually create problems, create health problems. So if you take too much Advil, for example, you take beyond the minimum effective dose, you're going to get a stomach ache and it's going to kill all the bacteria in your stomach. This idea of simplifying makes you smarter. And the other thing to keep in mind is that when a customer lands on your website and it seems complicated to them, do you know what they do? They leave. They leave. Every bit of complication, <laughs> every bit of complication you have in your funnel adds to the friction in the person's mind and makes it more difficult for them to answer the number one question they have in their head when they come to your website, which is this, can this person give me what I need or what I want? And if you can't answer that question or you make it difficult for them to find the answers to that question, you've lost that customer. And the more steps you add, the more complicated you make it, the less people are going to get to the bottom of your funnel and ultimately dollars in your bank account. So that's all I got to say about marketing funnels. There's a ton that I could say here. Let me throw something else in there because this is an interesting conversation. When a customer comes to your website and sees that you offer more than one service, I think an interesting question to ask, and we've talked about like, you know, would I eat at a restaurant that claims to have great Italian food and great Chinese food? No, I would not. (laughs) Because I would assume, well, their Chinese food must not be good enough for them to do it full time. Same for their Italian. See what I'm saying there? You got to wonder, there are certain types of customers who are going to see multiple offerings and say, oh, well, they must not be full time at any of these things, which means they must not be very good. Yeah, I've talked about this in depth in past episodes, the specialization conversation. I don't know what episode we talked about it on, so just go binge every episode we've ever done. (laughs) But let's move on here. This is the final point in our simplification episode today, and that is simplifying your offer. This kind of goes in line with what you were just talking about just now. And this is a place that people like to overcomplicate more than any other area in their marketing. Totally. So I'm going to start with a story here. I have made a lot of mistakes in my life. I did a lot of stupid things. And the number of stupid things I have done in my life goes up the younger I was. (laughs) When I was a young man, though, I did do something totally kick-ass one time. And it was asking out my wife. And what I did is I called her up and said, hey, I'd love to take you out to coffee before we dated. And she said, yes. And then she called back about an hour later and she said, no. And so then I called her back and I was like, look, I don't know if it was clear if I was asking on a date or not. I understand that that might've been confusing. I did want to ask you on a date, but now it's a little awkward. So I'll tell you what, let's meet for coffee. I want to tell you why I wanted to ask you on a date. That's even more awkward. So I can't wait to see where this goes. It is. So Uh, long story short, you have a wife and three kids. So it obviously worked out, but spoiler. So we sat down and I had a really clear laid out proposal for her. Proposal is the wrong word because I did not propose at the time. (laughs) I like you and I want to date you. Will you marry me? That's Yeah, that was the pitch. No, that Um, wasn't the pitch. The pitch was I sat down and I said, hey, you know, you know, I asked you up for coffee. I know that in college that there's always this like, oh, let's get coffee and maybe this is a date or maybe it's not. I asked you out because I think you're beautiful. But as I got to know you and become your friend, I became more attracted to your character than I was to your beauty. 
And that grabbed my attention because that never happens. So here's what I would like to do about that. I would like to take you on a canoe trip this Saturday on the Hocking River and I will pack a lunch. It's going to be this like Italian chicken and noodle dish that I make. And I'm going to treat you with respect and I will be able to look your dad in the eye after we go on this date because I'm going to treat you well. Would you like to go on a canoe trip on the Hocking River and I will pack us lunch this Saturday and I'd pick you up at 10 a.m.? Yes or no? That is a fantastic offer. And let me tell you a few things. First of all, just let me explain what an offer is. An offer is exactly what he just did. It is a package of goods that you're offering to your client. It's what you're offering and how you're offering it. It's those two things. And she was super into my package. Let me just say that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> We're married. Man. It's not sin, okay? I was about to say, now that you're married, you can say that. But okay. Otherwise, that's like a super douchey bro thing to say. Yeah. But again, it's what you offer and how you offer it. And Chris did a great job to lay down exactly what he was offering and how he was going to offer that to her. He was going to offer this package lunch and a canoe trip as a whole experience. And he was going to pick her up. And then he, at the end of it all, this is the best part. He asked her to make a decision, which most people don't even think to do. They don't even ask for the yes or the no. So back to simplifying your offer as a studio. I see people that are trying to be all things to all people. So if you went to Allison and you said, hey, Allison, I like you because you're cool and I want to date you because you're cool. Actually, this is a terrible, this is a terrible example. I'm trying to give a good example of like, well, this was pretty much what all the other guys, she was without a doubt the most desirable girl at our college. Many, many guys wanted to date her, but they all did the same thing. I was like, hey, um, you were like, um. I don't know, like, um, uh, get a coffee sometime or something. It was a really unclear pitch. Like, um, they didn't create a very appealing offer. They're like, want to go get a coffee? Yeah. Like, maybe we'll talk. Like, it's not a very yeah. appealing offer. You came and you just stared in the face and you said, I would like this. I would want to do this. Are you down or not? I want to take you to the river. I'm going to take you on a canoe trip. I'm going to build this whole experience out. So let's go back again. Let's go back to the studio thing now. Simplifying your offer because this is a huge, huge, huge lesson that we should probably have an entire episode on. Simplifying your offer. It comes down to a few things. What you offer and how you offer it. And if you go to the website conversation, because this is a lot of where you are making this offer, do you communicate clearly on your website what you're offering, how you're offering it, and who it's for? That's actually another big one. Who is this for? And if you can't communicate these things via what services you're doing, what the pricing is going to be, if it's confusing, what sort of terms you have in that pricing, all of these things play into your offer. And the more complicated you make this, the more difficult it's going to be for them to make a decision. Yeah. And when it's difficult to make a decision, the answer is going to be no. Oh, also, if you go back to episode 84, we start talking about the pricing masterclass, how to charge more, add more value and win more projects. Really, we're walking you through this whole ebook that we went through as a community, Breaking the Time Barrier. And that whole ebook is really about creating a fantastic offer because what they do is instead of just saying, I offer mixing and mastering and it is this amount per song and you can fill out my quote form to get a price. Like that's what most people do. And that's effective if you're great at what you do. But what that book walks you through in that episode that we talk about, what we walk you through is really getting to the fundamental desire of the people you were wanting to work with and working backwards to figure out how you can add additional value. And when you learn all the different ways you can add value to that project, you create all sorts of unique services or unique offers for that client 
that are going to appeal to them more than any other studio because you took the time to investigate what their needs are. So Chris, going back to you and Allison, you understood enough about her to know that she didn't want a guy who's going to play this game of like, I think we're talking and I'm going to play super mysterious. No, you sat down, you stated your intentions because that's what you knew she valued. And it worked out for you because y'all are now married. Mm -hmm. Anything to add to this so far? Well, I would say this, man, Brian, you are really good at clear proposals. I've seen the proposals that you send out to potential clients. I even remember when you invited me to do this podcast, it was really clear that was like, we're going to do a business podcast for recording studios. And it was just so clear, like what you meant and what you wanted to do and where you wanted to go. And I think, again, back to this idea of fear, I think for most of us, we're afraid that they're all going to laugh at you. And the way that we try to mitigate that fear is by not doubling down or leaning in on what we're doing because we feel like if we're not clear about it and we don't get a clear yes or a no, at least we won't get a clear no, right? And man, there was a guy, I'm not going to share his name, but there was a guy that I was pretty close with who kind of had some issues. This is a couple of years ago, and it was a small group. It was like a church small group that my wife and I were doing. And he had a crush on this girl in our small group, right? And he felt like he needed to ask her out, but he was terrified that she would reject him. So he did something really, really, really strange. I can't wait to hear this. And again, this, this guy had some issues. He shaved his head, including his eyebrows. Oh, yeah. I remember you telling me about this on, on a previous episode, weeks and or months and months ago. Yeah, because he knew he'd get a no. Yeah. He self-sabotaged. And, you know, this guy was working through a lot of issues, which is why I'm not going to share his name. But I think a lot of us self-sabotage as well. You know, whether we're afraid they're going to laugh at us or whether we're just trying to get a pat on the back from ourselves. I did good work today. I built something I'll never use ever again. We do these things to self-sabotage so that we don't have to objectively look at our business in the eyes and say, oh, crap, this isn't working. I need to change. I need to improve. And I think one of the best things you can do to really turn your business around as we talk about simplification is to have courage, is to work on being okay with rejection, being okay with getting shut down. Yeah. And really, if you take the time to think through what your target customer, your ideal target customer wants, like what they really want, what would be valuable to them, whether it's creating more of an experiential type offer or creating additional services or things that no one else is offering in the studio. If you have the courage to try different things out and get rejected, you're going to quickly learn a lot more than any other studio who just has a pre-built non-unique package that everyone else is offering. You'll have the ability to learn what people value and don't value if you're willing to put yourself out there. So really think through what is it that I can offer my target customer, which again, if you don't already have this, go back to episode 82, where we guide you through how to create a customer avatar that will skyrocket your marketing efforts. Once you create your customer avatar, think through all the things that you could offer them that's unique. I would almost say novel. What you kind of offered Allison on that date, I know this is not a direct one-to-one to our business, but there's a bit of novelty to it. The canoe ride, the yeah. picnic. A canoe date was kind of weird. Yeah. It's unique enough to where like, honestly, even if the girl's not that interested in you, she's going to give you a chance just because that's a fun weekend. So I feel like there's a lot in this offer conversation that we should probably really explore in future episodes. But I would say, maybe I'm actually going against what I said, because that's definitely not simplifying your offer. <laughs> but this is what happens when you overcomplicate a se- episode about simplification and you get dumber <laughs> as the episode goes on. So <laughs> we have, I'm going to let the audience yeah. <laughs> decipher what the fuck we just talked about. Our 
nonsense that we just talked about for the last uh, uh I definitely just minutes. thought to myself, I can't believe people listen yeah. to this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most nonsensical ending to any podcast episode ever. I think uh, I think the best way to end this is with some quotes from people that are way smarter than us. Uh yeah. yeah. So let's sum these up. Yeah. Okay, Brian, you want to trade on and off on these? Yes, yes. You go first. Okay. Ladies first. Go. I'll go first. <laughs> what gets fancy gets broken. All right, next quote. Perfect is the enemy of done. I love that quote. Mm, so good. And we're sharing these quotes with you guys because a lot of people have built huge businesses by adhering to these, you know, real simple quotes. Next quote. This one is for me. I made this one up. I'm sure you guys have heard of the keep it simple, stupid kiss. It's this sort of like idea. Keep it simple, stupid. I grasp the keep it simple, stupid thing. However, I often lack the discipline to keep it simple, stupid. So I came up with a word that I use constantly in my own work called kissipline, and it is the discipline to keep it simple, stupid. I also made up a word that I've used constantly in this episode, and it's called complification. Complification. (laughs) All right, last quote here, and these are all saying basically the same thing, but hopefully one of these quotes sticks in your head so that next time you try to overcomplicate something, one of these quotes says, hey, stupid, don't do that. Maybe it's the kissipline one, but this last quote here is this. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Love that. That quote is so good. So there you have it. A very long and complicated episode about simplification. It's interesting though, man. Simplification's hard. There's another quote. I forget who said it, but I think it was John Adams. He wrote like a letter to his wife and was like, I apologize for my letter being so long. I didn't have time to write a short one. I love that quote. And it's this idea of like simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. But it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to be simple, but it's also the most dependable. And that's what we're looking for in our business. We don't want a business that's like, oh my gosh, I did $10,000 this month and I lost $40,000 the month after that. We want to make it simple. We want to make it dependable so that you can rely on your business to continue to grow so that you can stay in this for the long run. This isn't a podcast about how to get rich in audio. This is a podcast about how to make art consistently for the rest of your life. That's why we're into this stuff, right? Freedom, baby. Yeah. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Next week's episode is going to be all about mindset. We're going to actually talk about four or five, I can't remember the number, four or five toxic mindsets that you absolutely must destroy If you want a successful business, I know this sounds like kind of one of those woo woo, weird, airy, hippy, dippy type episodes. And I definitely understand that. But a toxic mindset is one of those foundational parts of being an entrepreneur that you have to get right if you want to get the rest of your business right. Everything is built on top of your mindset. And if you don't have that right, if there's one or two or even all five of these mindsets that are poisoning the rest of your business, you will continue to struggle day in, day out. And even if you have a successful business, it's only a matter of time before it blows up due to self-sabotage or you doing something wrong due to a toxic mindset. Just to give you an idea how big of a problem this is, we have nearly 6,000 people in our Facebook group. We have over 30, 40,000 people on my mailing list. I have thousands of customers for the Six Figure Home Studio and all of my courses. And the number one problem I see amongst all people, the most common problem, the thing that is holding them back more than anything is a toxic mindset. And it's usually one of these four or five mindsets that we're going to talk about in next week's episode. So bright and early, 6 a.m. Tuesday morning, as always, 
Episode 96 will be coming out. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week and happy hustling. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure. Brian, your compressor's too loud. Turn it down. It's making your voice sound funny. Podcast. The compressor's all wrong. It's making your voice sound weird. I'm your host, Brian Hood. Your face alignment's totally off. Podcast co host, Christopher. J. Graham. Align your face, from Brian. Christopher Graham Mastering. How are you today, sir? I'm fantastic. No, I'm, and very... I'm not letting that on the podcast. Get the shit out of here. Come on. All right, here we go.